Amen. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. If you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs today and for a minute. So, you know, mark it. Figure out where Proverbs is. We're going to be there as we start a series on the Proverbs. It's a book in the Old Testament that is uh, well labeled because if you ever read it, that's what it is. It's just a bunch of wisdom sayings, a bunch of Proverbs from the scriptures. And we're jumping from a series on uh, spiritual disciplines, but really on recharging, connecting with the Lord to a series on Proverbs uh, with some intentionality. So if you start trying to really engage with the Lord, in this last series, we talked about prayer, we talked about study of the scriptures, we talked about the church. Last week, David was able to lead us through seeing the church as something that pours into you rather than something that takes from you, a place you come to heal, not hide. But if you actually start doing these things, if you actually start trying to connect to the Lord, investing in your relationship with Him, you'll immediately start to hit uh, the other side of who you are. What I mean by that, I'll wake up in the morning and the disciplines that I've been given by wise teachers over time has, has led me to the point where I, I do. I wake up and I open my Bible. It's not some grand sort of personal discipline. It's just sort of what I've been led to do over time. And honestly, I do it. I open my Bible in the morning and I read and I pray to the Lord in the morning. And I'll get maybe something from Scripture that I think, man, I'm going to change my life today in this way. This is something the Lord wants me to focus on today. And you can kind of like start the clock because at that point, I'm committed. But for how long? How long does it take before this wonderful kind of vision of how my day is going to go and my life's going to go and my, my closeness to the Lord is going to remain all day? I'm going to be as close to Him as I am in that first moment of the day. How long is it going to be before that goes completely out the window? Well, it's not long. You go downstairs and immediately you're running into a kid that's going to force you to either be patient or not. You run into a situation that you're going to have the opportunity at breakfast to either be self-disciplined or not. You're going to immediately have options. And those options are going to either reinforce the commitments that you made that morning to stay close to the Lord and to be His child, or they're going to work against it. As a people, we are not gathered because we're so fantastic. We're gathered because we're broken. So as a people, we need God to pour wisdom into us. Having wisdom will allow us to gain the sort of disciplines we need in order to live life as God's built us to live it. So I want us to invest in the Proverbs. I want us to take some of the sort of spiritual growth that we attained over the last series and apply it to learning how to live in God's world. Because really, that's what wisdom is. It's having the ability to live in harmony with how God's made things to be in order to see how they're supposed to be and understand the way that they're operating now, how they're not working how they're supposed to be, to understand wisdom and foolishness. If we can begin to see that, if we can begin to live that way, Man, we get what the Scriptures promise, riches, riches, honor, and life. Here's kind of our, our verse for the series. Proverbs 22, 4 says, The reward 
for humility and fear of the Lord, capture that phrase, is riches and honor and life. Now, this is the Bible. When it's promising you riches and honor and life, it's promising you way more than just things in this world, though it's also promising you those things to a degree in this world. It's Scripture, so it's not just teaching you how to live well. It's teaching you how to die well. It's seeing things as they would be, but as they also are. God made the world perfect, but it fell. Wisdom has its place, and he used wisdom when he created all things. But when we fell, we broke it. So it's not going to give you these things perfectly, but it is going to lead you to a life that is full. That's what I think, if anything... This riches and honor and life is describing. Wise living would mean that you would have your needs in, in some way and in, in any, every essential way met. That you would have a life that's full. And as you read through the Proverbs, it does actually give you each of those things. Proverbs talks about giving you life and it gives you length of life. It talks about hard drinking. It talks about practices that will shorten your life and it tells you not to do them. It also tells you about things that will shorten your life for other reasons. One of the best Proverbs, or one of the funniest ones, is Proverbs 27, 14. It says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Do you understand what that's saying? It's telling me as a high schooler not to be so loud in the mornings around my brothers. That's what I would do. I wake up happy. That's just genetics. It's not something that's part of me. It's not something I did intentionally or grew into. I just wake up happy. And so I start playing loud music early in the morning. And I think Thomas was about seven years younger. If he wasn't, he would have just hit me. I think he would have ended it. Now, that, that would save me if I would read and learn the wisdom of Scripture, the Scripture that even says, hey, you know, in the morning time, some people aren't ready yet. So just start a little slower. Let them get whatever kind of ancient version of coffee they had, and then you can get more excited. Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you for lengthening my life. Also giving you higher quality of life. Can I tell you that Proverbs 21, 9 and Proverbs 25, 24 both say the same thing? And I'm just out of, out of conviction that we have about Scripture. I'm going to read this to you. It says it twice, and it says it exactly the same way. It's better live on the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Thank you, Proverbs, for giving us better quality of life, telling us to invest in our marriages and maybe be a little bit careful about who we decide to marry. And I'm sure the ladies could very quickly point out all the Proverbs that come after the guys as well. But they do. The the Proverbs will give you a wisdom that will lengthen and also add quality to your life. The Proverbs will teach you about money. I'm talking about riches in a much bigger way, but let's not make it smaller than it is. The Proverbs give you all kinds of wisdom that it takes in order to be somebody who's diligent, who actually works when it's time to work. And if you work around harvest time, you're going to have a better harvest. If you avoid being a sluggard, you're going to avoid the results of sluggardly living. If you learn how to lend or not the way that the Proverbs teach, you're going to guard yourself. You're going to guard your wealth. You're going to be able to keep it. You're going to be a person who produces more and probably a person who has more. Yes, 
riches. And it talks about having honor. I do think the Proverbs teach you how to have greater honor in this world. It teaches you about how to deal with a king. It teaches you how to walk into a banquet and start yourself low, giving yourself a a humble posture in order that others may honor you rather than trying to insist on your own honor and being dishonored in front of everybody. That principle can get used day after day after day at home, in the business world, and around your friends to lead to honor in your world. But there's just, there's more to what's being taught in the Proverbs than just having a better life. Each of these concepts are supposed to be drawing you into something deeper. Drawing you into the main fact of our universe. If wisdom is going to teach you how to live with the grain of the universe, it's going to insist on you learning the central fact of the universe talks about humility, meaning to uh, talks about wisdom, not just being humility, but also having a fear of the Lord. Now, David's already done a lot of work for me with what he was talking about from Proverbs or from uh, Psalms 33. It's a deep awe of God. And we're not going to run from that concept of fear of the Lord. We're going to talk about it in depth. But I want you to see it not just as like a ha ah, kind of fear of the Lord, but as an awe of the Lord. And I want you to understand that if we're going to be wise, we have to know the main thing. And the main thing is Him. Now, we've been having people live at our house in our basement for a while. We're kind of in a drought. It's been a minute uh, since we've had somebody. But we've had young men and even young lady at one point come and just sort of stay with us for a while till they could figure out where they wanted to live somewhere outside of our house. It was never like an ongoing forever kind of a thing. But yeah, I mean, the rate was good. We were free. And, and honestly, uh, people needed space and they're going to connect with Hope Church and help us push the ball forward. Great. Let's do it. Last week, I was in Tennessee speaking to a large church, trying to get them motivated to be on mission and even on mission with us in Utah. And I told them, hey, man, and we'll help you figure it out. I've even got a spot. You just pass a quick background check and we would love to have you at our house. And I said that and I kind of meant it. Uh, I didn't mean the quick part. We're going to do an extensive background check on anybody from Tennessee that wants to live in our house. We're going to have David Bowers do as much as he possibly can, deep dives on social media. We're going to take any kind of litigation these people have had in the past and really examine it and meet them. There's going to be an interview process. It's going to be hard. But they can. They can stay at our house for a little while and figure out how they want to get through, you know, a really difficult part of living in Utah, the living expenses. But if they want to live in our house and do well, they have to reckon on me. If they want to live in my house, they've got to do things my way. You're not allowed to have the last Diet Coke. That's for me. You're not allowed to cook weird things that are going to smell weird. I'm the one that does the kombucha and the weird smells, not you. You're not allowed to just walk around without your shirt on. That's my prerogative, but it's not yours. If you want to live in my house, you have to reckon with the fact of my house, which is me. If you want to live well in my house, and of course we can go even further with it, and I think we have to. I think the word fear implies that we go further with it. Because it's not just how do you do well in the world. 
It's not just how do you get the the owner of the house to kind of not mess with you too much. If you want to live in my house, you also have to have a relationship with me. If I come home and find a stranger in my house, I may be nice for a moment while I'm assessing the situation, but I'm trying to get that guy out as fast as possible. If you want to sort of stake a claim in my home and try to make it like it's yours legally, well, we're coming to blows. That won't fly. And the wisdom that's depicted in Scripture leads to honor and riches in life, but the foolishness that's depicted in Scripture, man, it leads to death. Reckoning on and relating to the one who owns this house won't just make your life better. It's the only way to life. Rebelling against and trying to set up your own shop within his house will lead to destruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's how the Proverbs begin. It says in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, The Proverbs of Solomon, many of these attributed to the king, son of David, king of Israel. That's who Solomon is. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand the proverb, uh, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Then he gives you step one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There it is. Understanding anything begins by reckoning on, understanding, being in awe of the Lord. Or you can be a fool. And he begins with this concept, fear of the Lord. We've talked a little bit about what it is, but let's go further. It talks about having a deep awe of the Lord. It's an awe that we are allowed if we have received the gospel. If we have received the gospel, we've been forgiven of the things, the the rebellion, trying to set up shop in his house as though it was our own, and reconciled to him through the sacrifice of Christ. Through that gospel, then, we stand before God without fear in some ways. It says in John, 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there's no fear in love. If Joshua's kid feared him, he wouldn't be squeezing his cheeks together. I don't squeeze his cheeks together. I don't know that I particularly fear him, but I don't want to have to duck, you know. Maybe I could squeeze his cheeks together. We're pretty close. (laughs) But there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Hebrews is very clear that we are, through the sacrifice of Christ, allowed to enter with boldness into his presence. And yet, it's still his presence. It's still him as God. It's still understanding that he is the main fact, that he is God the Holy One. You you can put this verse out there and understand that he is inviting us through that love into a deep relationship with him. But it's still a relationship that will respect him as him. 
Paul, Peter, they talk about how under the fear of the Lord, we strive for holiness. Under the fear of the Lord, we submit to the other authorities that he's given us. We're not supposed to say because he loves us, we can disregard him. We still live with a palpable awe, fear of the Lord, knowing that this is his house, not ours. I think that's how our main verse 22.4 connects those concepts of humility with fear of the Lord. Man, I thought I was in charge, and then I met the guy who's in charge. You know, I was starting to run my own little kingdom. Over and over again, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus will tell this parable of a wise ruler, a wise leader who has a, a, a city or he has a vineyard, and he'll put tenants in charge. He goes away, and what do those tenants do with the city? What do those tenants do with the riches? What do they do with the vineyard? They sort of take over. They treat it like it's theirs without regard to the master. Until, of course, the master comes back. See, I think we can get to this place where we live as though this world is ours. Certainly this life is ours. We, we use possessive pronouns all the time, but it's not. He's clear. What do you have that you didn't receive? Therefore, honor God. See, that king will return. If he's going to let us continue to exist long enough to receive salvation, he's got to separate himself from us. Nobody can see God and live. But one day he will return. The wise will live in awe of that king. But I can't do what I want with my kids I'm not allowed to exasperate them. I must teach them the law of the Lord, not my law, which means that I do have to be consistent in discipline, and I can't be lax in discipline. I can't go too much. I can't go too little. I have to be a dad who honors God in his fatherhood. Every role you have, who you are as a person, must be lived under this understanding, under this wisdom. It's just really not uh, an argument. Josh was telling me a horrifying story on Wednesday about a friend of his who's a shop teacher. And we didn't even have shop in my high school that I knew about. I mean, you didn't have to do it. We weren't that uh, blue collar where they were like, guys, this is your only option, you know, go to shop. We, we had other, you know, ideas. But, but I know that some places have shop, and I would have loved to have done that. It seems cool. But now, as a, a not-so-young person, I think about it more from the perspective of the teacher than the student. And wouldn't you just be constantly anxious that the children were going to, like, slice off all their fingers? I would. And Josh told a story about this shop teacher. He said he never really has a problem. He's got the rules. that Everybody understands the rules, and there's no injuries, except for this one time when there was. Or this senior in high school tried to stop a saw blade with his finger. Now, I'll just leave it up to you to decide if that person should have a finger or not. Like, it seems like he earned not having a finger. And he earned it because he went against the rules. Not just the safety rules, but the rules of common sense, of reality that says if you stick your finger into a moving saw blade, you don't have a finger anymore. You're not allowed to have that finger. It's taken from you. 
the scripture is clear about how God says the universe works. He's God. If you step against how he says the universe is going to work, danger. The picture in Proverbs is the picture of a father walking with his son through the world and pointing out to him the examples that he sees around him. Do you see the diligent? Do you see how he's rewarded? Do you see the sluggard? Do you see how he goes hungry? Do you see the faithful man who loves his wife? Do you see the adulterous man who goes into this prostitute, who goes into this adulteress, and her feet go down to death? Do you see the man who follows the way that his father teaches and makes his way to life and honor and riches? Do you see the man who runs the other direction? And the only thing before him is death. The inevitability of wisdom. Man, that's only going to get lived out by us as our awe of the Lord starts to become real. Starts to become serious. Do you see why taking time to talk about spiritual disciplines kind of precedes this wisdom stuff? In Ephesians, Paul talks about having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Our hope is that as you're spending time in Scripture, as you're listening to these people sing about this stuff, the music, the repetition, the way it's lived out in our community is going to take the concepts that you read in Scripture and shove them past your brain down into your heart, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. It's not just a cognitive wisdom. It's not just something you understand and then confess with your mouth. It's something that you believe so fully that you react to it emotionally. That you react to it with the way you live. The fear of the Lord is exactly that principle that we most need. And yet, as we get it, man, he's promising this stuff, riches and wisdom in life, but, but I don't know how much we really want it. So what is the wisdom of God or the fear of the Lord? We've talked about that all, but, but why do you want that all? I mean, yeah, you want to be safe. Yeah, you don't want to shove your hand into saws. But most people don't. I think the big argument against this stuff is not that it's right or wrong. It's just more an argument of temperance. The idea is I want to, I want to know God enough to not run off a cliff. But most people seem to be okay. I think the great sort of thing we're fighting against at Hope Church is not that you're going to go join a biker gang and get it all. Um, I mean, if you want to ride bikes with people, that's great. But I, I mean like the more violent sort of Hell's Angels in the 50s version of that idea. I'm not super worried about that. I think what I'm much more worried about is that you'll be wooed away from the Lord by the enemy saying, um, not, hey, let's go to Vegas, but, uh, yeah but in moderation. I think the big temptation for Hope Church is not wild, crazy living. The big temptation for Hope Church is like um, temperate, middle-class living that isolates you from the result of your sin and leads you in a comfortable pride away from God degree by degree by degree. If that's a fear that I have for you, whew, if that's a fear that I have for you, the medicine that the scripture gives is this fear of the Lord. 
And yet it gives it in a really harsh, scary, but then also comforting way. I want you to read Luke 12 with me. In Luke 12, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, I don't know that people know Jesus says stuff like this. Everybody thinks Jesus is so nice. They don't read stuff like this. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I don't know of anything more terrifying in Scripture than those words. And yet, read what he says next. Hey, guys, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows. What the heck? <laughs> I've heard sermons on the first part of this, and I've heard sermons on the second part of this, and I don't know that I ever knew that they're right next to each other. Have you ever said to somebody, hey, man, God loves you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Did you ever before that say, don't fear things that can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Fear God. Because after he kills you, he can send you to hell. In Jesus' mind, these two things go together. And so they must. But how? Here's the concept of the fear of the Lord. God is. And he is either for you or against you. God is, and you are either his or you're not. The fear of the Lord says God is. That's his name. He's the grand fact of the universe. When Moses said, who shall I say has sent me? He gives, God gives his name, and his name is I am. His name is the fact of him. The universe is his and you're either with him or against him. That's why this is the beginning of all wisdom. And if you are against him, tremble. That's what Jesus is saying. If you are against him, tremble. But if you are with him, be comforted. God, in all of his grandeur, as he is who he is, if you let him be as big as he is, you have the, the possibility of trembling with fear. You recognize your sin, and you know that he could get you if he wanted to. But if you let that God be big, as big as he is, then in your moment of fear, your moment of anxiety, your crushing worry about whether or not you're going to be able to provide well for your family, for yourself, for your future. All of those things become small because he is with you. You go through the whole of the Old Testament, God is constantly making that case. If he is with you, nothing can harm you. When Israel is with him, living for him, worshiping him, then their enemies fall. Like chaff before fire, they fall. When Israel turns, when they try and live for another God, when they walk away from the love and provision of Yahweh and choose Baal or Asheroth or Molech or anybody else, what happens? They fall. God's making a constant picture, very, very clear to us, that you are either for him and nothing can stand against you more than a conqueror, or you are against him 
And if that's the case, start the clock. Not many days remain. You have to choose. And the fear of the Lord is going to help you remember that you have to choose. Choosing not to decide, I think, is what most of you are going to be tempted towards. Choosing to live with just sort of one toe in your relationship with Him is a choice that will lead you somewhere. We do this whole series on recharge because we're trying to give you the tools that it takes in order to pursue Him, to really go for Him. If He's with you, the world falls at your feet. You are more than a conqueror. That's what it says in Romans 8. But if not, it's a fearful thing. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Fear of the Lord should make you uncomfortable. I hope that there are points in this sermon where you have felt uncomfortable. But it's not meant to leave you uncomfortable. That fear of the Lord is meant to lead you to the way he has made to be redeemed. See, the gospel message is, of course, and I don't know if you know this, hopefully you do, that Jesus has come, God himself, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, so that sinners like us can receive the reward of a perfect life rather than the reward of the sinner's life. Being forgiven by him, coming to Christ in order to be redeemed by him means that we are now brought into, adopted into God's family, given as his children. The Father's Day thing's real, and it's real because of the gospel. And that giant God, that fearful, magnificent, holy, awe-inspiring God will never leave you nor forsake you. See, we're confusing things. We're confusing to each other, and we're confusing when we look at ourselves well. James talks about that, how our desires war within us. One quote I found especially helpful was a guy, Francis Spufford, wrote a great book, Unapologetic. He said, you are a being whose wants make no sense. They don't harmonize. Whoever deserves, you are a being whose desires deep down are discordantly arranged so that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to at the very same time. You are equipped, you realize, more for farce or even tragedy than happy endings. You are a human, and that's where we live. That is our normal experience. If I turn you loose today and you're convinced that God is good and you want to go after him, just start the clock. It won't be long. But God gives us this medicine of the fear of the Lord to bring us again and again back to the fact of who he is. As we go through this series in Proverbs, that's my my prayer, is that God will become big in your life. I don't want to just give you rules to live by. I want to give you ways, ways in your finances, ways in your relationships, ways in your, your aspirations for the future, where you're going to see God as big, not small. And that we hopefully become a church of wise people. Let's pray that that happens. Lord and Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would give us wisdom through your word in this series. Lord, the Proverbs were not just written to show off how wise you are or how wise Solomon was. They're given as instructions from a father to a child. 
As we celebrate Father's Day, we're remembering that these are instructions that you have given to us, not to scare us and leave us scared, but to scare us from things that will hurt us, from the buzzsaws of this world, and to bring us into your presence where there is life and riches and honor forevermore. Please do that, Lord, for your glory and our good. In your holy name we pray, amen.